Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I hope you're all still safe and well and fighting the good fight as best you can. As I write this, I am almost done painting doors, so by the time you hear this, I should be well done with that project. Today, we are continuing our journey through the Odyssey. Last week, we met Telemachus, the son of Odysseus, who was just a baby when his father left to go fight in the Trojan War. We met a couple of the suitors that have come to court Penelope, Odysseus's wife. We briefly saw Penelope and the old slave Eurycleia. And we saw Athena come in disguise to tell Telemachus how he can get news of his father. Book one ends with everyone going to bed, so book two starts where you would expect, with the sunrise. Telemachus gets up early. He gathers an assembly of all of the Achaeans before they can even get a chance for their morning shave. And the assembly is opened by an old man named um, Aegyptios. He has four sons. One... Antiphos went to Troy with Odysseus, and the poet tells us that his son has been eaten by the Cyclops. Um, a second, Eurynomos, has joined the suitors who now clamor for Penelope's hand. And the other two have stayed with their father to tend the farm. It's the first son that he thinks of as he speaks, and he has one question. Who called this assembly? There hasn't been one since Odysseus left, so whoever did it, well, more power to him. Telemachus smiles. This is what he was hoping to hear. He speaks up. He called this assembly. His father is lost and his house is being plundered by the suitors that his mother never asked for. Suitors who haven't had the dignity to meet her father first. And what do these assembled men do about it? Nothing. Ithaca has become a laughingstock. Telemachus can't turn the suitors away without being deemed a bad host, but the suitors refuse to be good guests. Most of those assembled nod in agreement, but Antinous rolls his eyes and gives a slow clap. Nice talk, Telemachus, but it's not our fault that your mother hasn't picked a husband. It's hers. We've been waiting for three, almost four years, and she keeps delaying. And then he tells the story that Penelope is probably most famous for. Her loom is set up in the hall, and she tells the suitors that she is weaving a funeral shroud for her father-in-law, Laertes. She will remarry once the shroud is finished. Every day, she makes a public show of working on the piece, and every night she sneaks downstairs and unravels that day's work. And she keeps up this ruse for three years before one of the maids sees her and tells the suitors. So Telemachus has two choices, according to Antinous. He can send his mother away to wherever her father is, or he can make her marry a... Sorry, he can send her away to wherever his father is, to to where Odysseus is. Or he can make Penelope marry a man of her father's, Penelope's father's choosing. That she'll, you know, someone she agrees with. It's simply not good for a woman to be clever, and no woman has lived who is as clever as Penelope. But look at how she's used that brain of hers. By making a name for herself, she's prevented her son from doing the same. The suitors aren't going anywhere. Telemachus doesn't rise to the bait. He calmly responds that he can't banish the woman who bore him and who loves him. His father's location is unknown, and his grandfather would only receive his mother in disgrace. If the suitors don't correct their behavior, the wrath of the gods will come down upon them, and they'll get what they deserve. Zeus shows his approval of this statement by sending two eagles to fly down from the mountains, battle each other midair, and both drop dead on the crowd, which is 
I mean, that's an impressive omen, you gotta say. Halitherses, one of the assembled old men, says that this is clearly a sign from the gods, an omen the suitors should pay attention to. Odysseus must be close to home, and if the suitors don't leave soon, it will mean their deaths. He's old enough to know what an omen looks like when he sees one, and his own prophecy was that Odysseus would return after 19 years, alone and unrecognized, and this omen shows that his prophecy will be fulfilled. Eurymachus rolls his eyes and tells the old man to keep his stories for bedtime. Birds sometimes kill each other. It doesn't mean anything. The suitors aren't going anywhere, and Telemachus's best course of action is to send Penelope to her father. The suitors don't fear anyone, least of all Telemachus. Telemachus replies that he sees no reason for further discussion. He asks for a fast ship and a crew of 20 to sail with him. He will go to Pylos and then to Sparta in search of news. If the news is that Odysseus is alive, he'll wait a year for the news to change. If the news is that Odysseus is dead, he'll return home immediately for a funeral and to arrange a second marriage for his mother. Mentor rises. He was one of Odysseus's comrades when Odysseus was still a prince. Odysseus had left him in charge. He states that the most sickening part of this whole affair is not the behavior of the suitors, but the fact that the behavior is condoned, or at least not rebuked, by the rest of those um, assembled. Leocritos scoffs at this. Should Odysseus return alive, there's no way he can drive the suitors out. The odds are against him. It's not worth talking about any of this. Everyone should just go home. Let Halitherses and Mentor help Telemachus. They were his father's friends. Telemachus is too young and too unlearned for the rest of those assembled to bother with. And everyone goes home. Telemachus walks sadly down to the shore and prays to the god he knows visited him yesterday. Athena takes the form of Mentor and appears to him. She reassures him that he is his father's son. He has his spirit. Never mind what the suitors say. I'll find a ship for you. I'll sail with you just like I sailed with your father. She tells Telemachus to go home and gather provisions while she arranges the transport. Telemachus returns to the palace. Antinous greets him like he owns the place and tells him to get over his anger and join the feast. Telemachus refuses, saying that now that he is an adult, he has one goal, and that is the destruction of the suitors. The suitors laugh at this. <laughs> Look at little Telemachus, pretending he's all grown up. Maybe we should let him go. Then he could be lost at sea, just like his father. Telemachus rolls his eyes and ignores the taunts. He goes into the storeroom and asks Eurycleia to help him gather provisions for his journey. He tells her that after his mother's gone to bed, he'll come and get what she's gathered. Then he will sail to Pylos and Sparta. Eurycleia cries. Surely Odysseus is long dead, and now Telemachus is going to risk the same fate. Telemachus reassures her and makes her swear to keep the secret of his journey from his mother for 11 days, or 12, or until she notices that he's gone. Still crying, she agrees. Meanwhile, Athena has changed her disguise. She's wandering through the town in the form of Telemachus, gathering a crew of 20 men, who she leaves with the boat she has secured. She then puts the suitors to sleep and changes back into her mentor disguise to let Telemachus know that his crew is ready. Telemachus follows her to the shore and directs the crew to help bring the provisions from the house. They pour out libations to the gods with particular note to Athena, and just before dawn, they set sail. (music) 
We're off to a pretty rousing start. Sure, we haven't seen Odysseus yet, but we have to get through the telemachy first. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is a theme that we saw a lot of in the Iliad, honor and glory. In that epic, people are remembered because of how they die, primarily. Um, and we're going to see some of the same here in the Odyssey. And it's and it starts with the introduction to um, Aegyptios. We're told about all four of his sons, but we only get names for two of them. And we're told how one of them has died. And well, spoiler alert, things aren't going to end well for the one that has joined up with the suitors. Those are the two whose names we know. Um, but we don't, we don't know the other two sons. They are leading quiet lives. They are being good sons, but filial duty apparently isn't enough for um, them to be remembered by name, which is interesting that their lives are not considered um, in antiquity to be as honorable as their brothers. Um, and today we might, we might disagree with that, that they're the more honorable of the sons in some ways. Mentor also struck me on this reading, the real mentor, not the Athena in disguise mentor, um, because he berates his countrymen for knowing what is happening in the palace and doing nothing to stop it. Um, now, I live in the United States and I know most of my listeners do, um, but you may not. Um, but I'm sure unless you've been living under a rock for the past four years that you know at least a little bit about the political situation here right now. Um and Mentor's speech, wow, that rings true. Um, and I can, I can hear it in other great quotes and speeches. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And 2,500 years before these phrases were coined through the voice of Mentor, Homer was saying exactly the same thing. Um, why do we still read these things today? Because they still speak to us. They still are relevant. And sadly, in some ways that I wish they weren't. Um, but it is something that we need to be reminded of as, as our humanity and seeing the humanities and others. How do we behave? Um, finally, of course, I can't leave this episode without talking about Penelope. We finally see a bit of Penelope. Um, at least we hear about her. Um, even if you don't really know the Odyssey, you have probably heard the story about Penelope that is told here in book two. She is able to maintain her deception for so long because she does it completely through the work of women and good wives. Men don't weave, or at least real Greek men, trademark, didn't. <laughs> so the suitors may feel like it's taking a really long time to weave the shroud, but what do they know about weaving? That's woman's work. But it's also interesting to think about why she does it. I mean, sure, yeah, she has no desire to marry, and that is a perfectly valid reason to to keep up this ruse for as long as possible. But, um, but we also know when we look at the epic in its time, um, women, single women of a certain socioeconomic status are in a very precarious position. I mean, all women were in precarious position, but, it, you know, she's the queen. Um, and, and yet, even though she's in this precarious position, her position is not nearly as precarious of that of her son. Telemachus is a baby when Odysseus goes to war. Um, and this means that by this point in the story he's barely 20 years old um I, 
I don't, do you remember being 20? I loved being 20. That was a good year. 20 was good. But you're still, I mean, you're barely an adult, right? So he's still a child. The suitors have been there for four years. He's still a child when the suitors descend on the house. He's maybe 15, 16 at that point. By delaying the suitors, Penelope is giving her son a chance to grow up and to reach an age at which he could viably stake his rightful claim to the throne. And so she's being a mama bear, but she's being a mama bear at her cleverest. Now, I would love to hear your thoughts on Penelope, Telemachus, Athena's disguises, and more. <laughs> the link to the blog, as always, is in the show notes. On Monday, we will read another of Plautus's early comedies, uh, Stikus. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.